The following audio is from Foundation Life Bible Church. More information about Foundation Life is available at www.foundationlbc.com. Good morning. It's great to be gathered in the name of our Lord together and to celebrate, Alicia, I love it, the Super Bowl of church, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great way to put that. Thank you for joining us and worshiping our King. Remember, we are unified in the Lord, whether you are here in this room, whether you are watching online. Remember the bond that we share in Christ Jesus, unified through the Spirit and a bond of peace. So we're going one place today. We're going to talk about what a difference the resurrection of Christ makes in our lives. And today is going to be a sharing Sunday. So we are going to speak about what that means. So I want you to pray about that while you're sitting under the word today. I want you to think about and ask the Lord to reveal to you what does the resurrection of Christ mean? And then in a little bit, Lexi at the end of our service is going to walk around with the microphone and give us an opportunity to share. But remember, we do that for the edification of the church to the glory of God, that we would encourage one another in our faith, that we would spur one another on. And friends, don't forget on YouTube, you can, you can comment, you can send messages to um, Conrad, to Mel, to um, Chris, to Alicia, to Aaron, to Will, to Jeff, to Randy, to, 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 to Richard, to Mark. You pay, take your pick but share what the resurrection means for your life. So I encourage you to make it personal. The kids and I were talking about this morning what that meant. Why is it that adults are a little goofy on Resurrection Sunday? Why is it that we're a little more giddy? Well, because it means that Christ is mine and I am His. I'm in relationship with him. And so it's amazing to think about as we make it personal that Christ rescued me, who was in a helpless and desperate state. The Bible says that, as the kids said this morning, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and Jesus endured excruciating pain and suffering on Good Friday on our behalf. God shed his blood. For me, make it personal. It has made me white as snow. That color cannot be repeated. White as snow. Jesus took my punishment. He shielded me. He took the wrath that was met for me. He took the righteous anger of the Father that was met for me. Take that in. That's what that means today. We can never say the gospel enough to ourselves. We can never think of these truths enough. But the story doesn't end at the cross. Today we celebrate the hope that is ours, that is yours in Christ Jesus. That just three days later, Jesus professed to the world I'm the one. I'm the I am. I'm the one that holds the keys to life 
and death. I determine it. It starts with me and it ends with me. And I invite you to trust in that. His resurrection validates that every word he spoke was true. His resurrection announces to me that I am forgiven. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And it meant that when Jesus said that it is finished, that by golly, it is finished. And remember what that means on a personal basis as well. The resurrection means that you and I share in that resurrected life. That Christ lives in me. Make it personal. I know him, but better yet, he knows me. Are you encouraged this morning to know that you are known by Jesus? That he knows you that he knows you better than you know yourself. And no matter what circumstance I walk in, no matter what he calls me to, no matter what I have to endure, I do so with an eternal hope, a hope in what is to come, a hope that reminds me that my God is going to light up my eternal place, that God, my God is going to light up with his glory and that I will live with him forever. Church, that should ignite in us a relentless pursuit of the Lord Jesus. That should in us create a desire to want to be in his word, to know him more, a thirst to hide the truth of God's word in our heart. The psalmist says in chapter one, right, kids? I have what? I have hidden your word in my heart. So what? So I won't sin against you. And maybe you're watching today because you want to at least have some kind of church experience on Easter. Maybe it's Christmas and Easter for you. And maybe what I just shared doesn't make sense to you. Maybe you're just like, God, don't know about all this. But we're taught in Scripture that it's only by the grace of God that these truths are revealed. God has to make them known. God has to open my eyes so I can see. He has to clear out my ears so I can hear. He has to open my heart to the truth of who He is. And sometimes maybe we're in this place We've been in church for years. We've heard these truths for years. We've got them in our minds, but not in our hearts. And again, that's God's work. The Spirit has to do that. So here's what I want to do. I want to open us up in prayer. And if you're watching today and you would not call yourself a believer in Christ, here's what I want to pray for you. I want to pray that today your eyes would be opened to the truth of who Jesus is. There was no body. His body could not be found because the grave could not hold him. And believers, brothers and sisters, I want to pray for you that we grasp these truths today. That these truths 
have a practical impact on our life. So let's pray. Father God, as we sing to you, as we watch the sunrise this morning, as we celebrate, Lord, your resurrection, Jesus, we are reminded once more of your great mercy. Mercy that you called us to you. Mercy that you and your kindness and in your love made yourself known. So Father, I pray for all of those who are watching, who will be watching, Lord. Father, I pray and ask God that you would do what only you can, that your spirit would quicken the heart, that your spirit would cut to the heart, that men and women would see their sin, they would line up with what Paul said when he said, I'm the chief of all sinners. God, that you would show them that. And Lord, that you would show them that you are the remedy. That you, Jesus, are the only hope, the only one that they can trust in, God. I pray, Lord, that they would receive you. They receive what you did on the cross, Lord. They would trust in you for your forgiveness, Lord. They would trust in you for salvation, God, and they would begin to walk with you. My brothers and sisters, Lord, thank you that you are working in each one of them. Thank you, Lord, that you are teaching each one of them. Thank you, God, that you continue to mold them into your likeness. And today is just another small step in that process. We trust you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're just going to keep one thing in the forefront of our minds this morning. The resurrection makes all the difference. And we're used to going through the scriptures, one scripture in particular, just a verse-by-verse -verse approach. But today it's going to be kind of like the old school sword drill that some of us may know. So we're going to kind of go all over the Bible, okay? But I want to support this idea that the resurrection makes all the difference by looking at the men that walk closest with Jesus, his disciples. I learned this a long time in Sunday school. I've shared it with some of you before, but it goes like this. Jesus called them one by one, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Then came Philip, Thomas to Matthew and Bartholomew. James, they called the less. Simon, also Thaddeus. The twelfth apostle, Judas named, Jesus was by him betrayed. We'll never forget that. Thank you, Sunday school teachers. Okay, so let's start here. These men should be celebrated. They should be celebrated because they dropped everything, the Bible says, and they immediately left their livelihoods and they followed Jesus. They left what they were used to. They left what they knew and they followed Jesus. And it's fun to think about what must that have been like to spend three years with God in the flesh? Just consider that. Did they hang on every word that he spoke? Every activity, everywhere they went was accompanied 
with Jesus sharing truth with them, with Jesus teaching them about his kingdom. But scripture tells us that often they missed it completely. They missed what he was saying. In one instance, he was teaching them, guys, you can trust me, that he would provide their needs, that he was the bread of life, that he was the bread from heaven. And what did these guys do? They argued about bread. They argued about actual bread. And Jesus always had an eternal perspective while they were fixated on the present. But the Lord knew this. He loved these men. And he knew that he was going to finish what he started in them. And I want to remind you, the same thing is true for you. We are not a finished product. The Lord is working his salvation in us. He is passing us from one phase of glory to the next. We rely on that promise that he will finish what he started in us. And that sounds familiar where these men are, because, or where they were, because it's not just children that focus on the now. We focus on the now. We find ourselves thinking in this pattern. I can only think about what's in front of me in this moment. Think about for a moment. These men were witness to so many miraculous things. Seeing firsthand the Lord love those who society rejected. Those who were considered unclean. Those who they had to stay at least 10 feet from. The leper. The demon-possessed man. The woman with the bleeding disorder. The widow's son that he raised from the dead. Think about all the different things we read about Jesus in the Gospels. And every miracle, it was so much more than just the miracle. Because each one, what? Revealed our sin. It pointed to our depravity. It pointed to that there was no good in us. It pointed to that not one of us was righteous. It pointed to the fact that none of us seek God. It revealed sin. And Jesus, over and over again in those miracles, said, Only I can give you eyes to see. Only I can make you who are unclean, clean. And this is why I came. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, a physician, but the sick. And the Gospels paint a picture of men who did not pick up what Jesus was laying down. They didn't. Over and over again, they didn't. We hear it in the tone as we read the Gospels and what Jesus said. From the beginning, it's different that they had a different plan, that they had a different agenda, that they were about their kingdom. They were about their desires. They had their own purposes, and they weren't about Jesus's purposes. And I want to give you an illustration of what that looks like. And I may disappear in the camera for just a second. But don't worry, I'm coming back. Okay? But here's what this is. Here's what this looks like. Okay? Me and my flesh, I have my own agenda. 
The Lord invites me to take his yoke. He says it's easy and it's light. But in my flesh, here's what I do. I look for agendas and yokes in the world. And here's what happens. I take that yoke of the world. I take that idea from the world. I take the things in my natural mind that my flesh appeals to, and I try to put it on, and guess what it does? It brings me down here. This is what it does. It puts me in chains, and it brings me down here, and it keeps me down until finally the Lord in his mercy says, are you ready to look up? That's what taking the yoke of the world does. That's what believing the lies of the world does. It puts me in bondage. So every time I try to grab that yoke, it knocks me down. It puts me down on the ground. And then the Lord in his mercy says, are you ready to take my yoke again? And we call that walking with the Lord. But the resurrection tells us that God wants to set us free from those chains. The resurrection tells me that God wants me to stand up and run, that he wants me to fly, that he wants me to find joy in him, that he wants to show me that glory is found in him. But a lot of times I'm down here and he says, get up, get up and walk in my resurrected life. And that's what the Lord saw in these men. He saw who they were going to be. He's patient with us. He's long-suffering with us. He continues to practice forbearance again and again. So let's take a look at the scriptures and talk about how they did this. How did they want to put on the yoke of the world? And it may sound familiar. So first, if you want to in your Bibles, turn to Luke 18, 31 to 33. You don't have to. You can just listen. But if you want to, turn over to Luke 18, 31 to 33. So Jesus said several times, guys, here's my ultimate purpose. And this is what he said. And taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Kids, there's Isaiah. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. And then verse 34 reminds us that while Jesus was on the earth, these men were unwilling. They were stubborn. They were stiff-necked. They had hard hearts to embrace that truth. And here's what it says. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So the Gospels paint a picture of men who believed that Christ was the Messiah. However, the hang-up was the purpose in His coming. Why did He come? To them, Jesus had come to set up His reign on earth. And does Scripture teach that? Yes, it does. Their mindset was, finally, Jesus is going to help us conquer Rome. Finally, Rome is going to be under our feet. Rome will be under our authority. We will no longer be oppressed by them. 
And to them, it meant that we're going to reign in power with Jesus. I'm going to be Jesus's guy. Everyone's going to see me associated with Jesus. Yeah, that's right, everybody. We are with Jesus. And that was their mindset. And what happened? It led to a power struggle. It led to a power struggle. They were jockeying for position. It's like I climb the ladder and I step on the guy's head to pass him. That's the mindset. Okay? Parents are biased when it comes to their children. Yep, that's true. And mom is really biased with her baby boy. That's really true, right? Your baby boy will always be your baby boy, right? Right, mom? Your baby boy will always be your baby boy. No matter if they're bigger than you, they will always be your baby boy, okay? And it's safe to say that a mother's priority is related to her children's interests. Well, we see that in the Bible too. If you want to turn over to Matthew 20, verse 21, we see that play out here. Salome was the mother of John and James, two disciples of Jesus. And we read there in Matthew 20, 21 about a request that she made to Jesus. Okay? Here's what she said. Say these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. So here we go. The disciples are jockeying for position, anticipating the reign of Jesus. Not what Jesus taught them, but who they wanted Jesus to be. Sound familiar? If Jesus taught them several times, it was not going to go how you think it's going to go. How you anticipate it is not going to be that way. But they persisted in making this happen. So what happened? They were weighed down. They were weighed down. They were brought down. They tried to take the yoke of their agenda. They tried to take the yoke of what they wanted in their natural mind, and it pushed them down. It pushed them down. And even when they received what the Spirit of God revealed, even when they received what, what the Spirit revealed to them, Matthew 16, Verses 15 and 17. Jesus asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What did Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then we're walking with a strut because we got it right and we're excited and we're, 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 we're all proud. Good for Peter. But then the selfish desires and the agenda and the yoke that they wanted to put on reared its ugly head and it got in the way. And Jesus again spoke about the cross. He said, here is what I'm about. And here is what I'm calling you to be about. But what did Peter do? He rejected it adamantly. No way. Verse 22. And Peter took him aside 
thinking he's got it right, to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But the Lord, who had an eternal perspective, who saw what these men were going to be, for the joy set before him, knew what he had to do for you and I. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. That yoke that you want to put on me, uh-uh. It's not weighing me down. I'm here about what my father is doing. I'm here about why he sent me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. And guys, that's the wrestle. Putting on the yoke of the world, listening to voices in the world, being in my natural mind. These men put confidence in the flesh, and so do I when I'm in my flesh. They boasted, what? God, we would never leave you, Lord. We would never leave you. We're even willing to die with you, Lord. But when the opportunity came to stand alongside of him, what did they do? They got out of dodge. They ran like little girls. And they went into hiding. Peter acted like he didn't even know him. And the words that Jesus spoke to him were fulfilled, that you would deny me. Christ died, and they lost all hope, and they returned to what they did before they knew the Lord, before they walked along. You've seen the sign, Gone Fishing, right? I wonder if it didn't start with the disciples, because they went back to what they knew. They went back to what they could hide in. They went and they fished. That's what the flesh does. Goes back to meeting those desires. Goes back to what I know. Looks for what is not hard, what is safe, what is comfortable. And even after the women returned, they had seen Jesus and they emphatically went and stated that we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. He is risen. But with the exception of Peter and John, who made it a competition, they still responded in disbelief. Luke 24, 10 through 12. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary and the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed, watch this, to them an idle tale. No way. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Thomas, even after the ten interacted with the Lord, said he did not believe. And yet, after Jesus rose from the dead and mercy he restored them just like he restored Jonah just like he restores us and a truth that gives me great hope essentially he said this I'm not finished with you yet 
I still have great plans for you in my kingdom. Stop moping around. It's time to put the hand to the plow. What a merciful and gracious God we have. He invites us to take his yoke. That's the difference the resurrection makes. When they saw the resurrected Christ, hope sprang up in them. And up until the day that Jesus ascended, their faith was strengthened. And then on the day of Pentecost, what happened? The Lord sent his very presence to live in them. And what a truth that we hold on to. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And listen to this. Filled with the Spirit. The living God alive in them and living through them. Men that were once selfish and cowardly and lived in their natural minds, put on the yoke of the world, were transformed to the glory of Jesus. The resurrection makes all the difference in our lives. And it made all the difference in their lives. Peter, who once denied Christ three times, preached boldly and courageously to the same people that he hid from, to the same people that he ran from. He preached the gospel boldly to men that he once feared. This sermon and acts that he preaches, it was amazing. And honestly, we would have been in better shape this morning just to read Acts 2. And I encourage you to do that. But let's highlight some of what he says. Here's what he says in verses 22 and 24 of Acts 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then down in verse 37. The Spirit of God worked mightily in Peter's words. And look what it says. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? There's a detail that I love that we can miss in verse 14 of this same chapter. These men, when they were putting on the yoke of the world when they were putting on the yoke of their own agendas, they were jockeying for position. But verse 14 gives us this beautiful little detail of where they now were. They laid down their agenda. They took off the yoke of the world and they put on Christ. They grabbed a hold of His mission and look what it says. 
Now they were unified in the Lord. The verse 14, we can miss it. It gives a picture of men standing together, unified in the Lord. God's plan for his church because the gospel is true. Look what it says. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. But Peter, standing with the eleven, so there was no more, oh, I'm closer, oh, I'm closer, oh, I'm closer. Nope. They're together. They're unified in the Lord, standing together in the Lord Jesus. And by the grace of God, these men that Jesus loved dearly, courageously stood together, declaring to everyone around them, we are devoted to the Lord. We are here to tell you of our adoration for the Lord Jesus. The resurrection truly made all the difference in their lives. And what did God do through them? Well, our New Testament is much of what God through the Spirit, men carried along by the Spirit, did through them. They wrote much of it along with the Apostle Paul. They went where God sent them. They saw their lives as being on mission, and they preached what God had taught them in power. And they did it with joy to the glory of God. Lives changed. Jesus finishing what he started in these men. And nothing could shake their faith in Christ. They rejoiced, Acts tells us, that the Lord would count them worthy to suffer for His name. That's a life changed by the gospel of Christ. And almost all of them lost their lives for Christ. They were willing to be stoned, clubbed, flayed, speared, beheaded, and even crucified in the name of their Lord. I found this quote in Fox's book of martyrs. Maybe some of you have read that. If you haven't, I recommend it. But it's just how men and women were impacted and how they suffered for the name of Jesus. But according to tradition, Andrew said these words before he was crucified, and I love this. This brings so much encouragement me of how the resurrection made all the difference. Christ changed Andrew. And listen how, here's what he said. O cross, O cross, most welcome and long anticipated. Remember Jesus' words? Those who would follow me, one must deny themselves, take up the cross and follow me. O cross, O cross, most welcome and long anticipated. I come to you with a willing mind, with joy and desire, since I am a follower and a student of the one who died on you. I have always loved you and sought to embrace you. I have always loved you and sought to embrace you. Twelve 
11 men that didn't have a clue what Jesus was doing, that had hard hearts, that were stubborn, that often missed what he taught, were completely changed because the grave could not hold their Lord. And then the Lord sent the counselor and filled them with his spirit. And they were changed forever. A miraculous change in 11 men that were stubborn, that were unbelieving, and that were often fearful. The resurrection makes all the difference in our lives. We've got to grab a hold of that truth. So here's what I invited you to do this morning. Is to think about, before I share a few things, how does that impact you? What does the resurrection mean to you? What does it mean personally? What does it mean for everyday life? Lexi, would you go grab the microphone from Aaron, please? Lexi's going to walk around with our microphone. We just want to have a time to share what does that mean? What thoughts do you have? How can we spur one another on in our faith in that today? Who has thoughts on that? Yep, right down there, sweetie. There you go. Thank you. Over there to Richard, kiddo. Uh, one of the things that's interesting about this whole story that we get is we don't get the big picture in that this happened at Passover which is the Super Bowl, the NCA, and everything else rolled together. And yet thousands and thousands and thousands of people were there. This was not done in the back of some room someplace. Jesus died publicly. Hmm. He rose publicly. The whole world knew about it. And uh, I just wanted to share that I gave my life to Christ when I was 17 years old. And 63 years later, he's still alive. Mm. And the resurrection has made everything. Mm. Uh, he is the center of my life. Mm. And many of you have been praying for Richard, but we've, walked, we've watched this man walk in resurrected life. He's been an encouragement to us in what he's gone through. And it's because of what Jesus has done for him. Amen. Anybody else? Conrad, behind you, Lex. I, I think um, when I think about the death and resurrection of Christ, it's often easy to focus on the death part and him paying for our sins. But it's the resurrection part that shows his conquering over the grave. Hmm. And that's what I think gives me the most hope is that we've seen his power We've seen that nothing can hold him back. Hmm. And he's going to lead us into eternity with that power. So the resurrection does make all the difference. Hmm. 
I'm sure all of us have experienced the finality of watching a loved one's casket go into the ground and what that's like. But Jesus, for those of us that trust in Him, says, this isn't it. There's more. There's more to come. That's what His resurrection says. I love to walk through cemeteries and just read about the lot of each person and to think about how good God is and what He gives us and the opportunities He gives us. Anybody else? Back in the back with your daddy. I don't, I don't have any specific thoughts I was going to add. I just wanted to read a passage from Colossians because it translates the resurrection to practical life. So Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Mm. Our thinking is changed. And we set our mind on that, of who God says we are in him, what that means. Is Christ Jesus your life? Is he your life in your car? Is he your life at work? Is he your life when you're with your kids? That's what he wants to do in us is acknowledge Him. Think of Him. Understand what that means. Richard, did you have your hand up again? Yeah. Okay. Lexi? In her dress, pretty. So pretty. <laughs> Love it. As you all know, there's a part of this story that we did read today. It's about the two men that were walking with Jesus. They walked with Him for seven miles after the resurrection. They didn't know who He was. But when they got ready to go home, he was continuing to go forward, and they invited Jesus in. And it wasn't until they invited Jesus in that they found out that it was Jesus. But we've received a lot of information in our life, just like they received a lot of information from the God of the universe in Jesus Christ. But there was nothing personal about it until they invited him in. Mm. So the question is, have you invited him in? Don't ever expect to know Jesus until you first invite him into your life. Anybody else? Behind you, Lex. Back in the same row. Um, two things. <clears throat> We're seeing now um, and it, that I was thinking as we sang this morning, my chains are gone. Um, you mentioned people that show up at church for Christmas and Easter and feel good for a little while. Or they sing songs and go home and do not think about him all week. And, and what we're seeing is, uh, I saw some statistics this week about how many people are falling away from the church? And how, and as I was walking, as we were walking out the door this morning, guys said, well, I don't go to church. There's nothing there. And it's, 
the uh, Argoy chocolate bunnies. And so it, it's, to me, this is an exciting time because what I grew up in was ritualistic ways of feeling better, which is your own yoke, and calling it Christianity. The chains are falling off. Jesus is doing something right now that is marvelous. And it looks like the church is falling apart, but it isn't. Only people are going to start looking whenever we point them to Christians who live the resurrect, resurrected life. Mm. And so I think it's a very exciting time, and it's going to give us a lot of opportunity to talk to people in an honest way about how they've seen the church, how, how they've been through that ritual thing and now don't want any part of it. Well, they shouldn't want any part of it. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, it's a time for us who know Jesus and have the relationship with him for us to have honest conversations with people because people want something. They're looking for something. And Jesus is doing that. The Holy Spirit is working diligently. And I'm excited about it. I don't care what the statistics say. The other thing is, yesterday I was reading Isaiah 55, and it said, um, come um, drink wine, eat bread, without money and for me I know recently part of living the resurrected life is to go and say to Jesus okay I'm here what are you going to do with me I have no money I have nothing and He's, he's filling me up with him because I have nothing. He ha you have to be empty for the life of Jesus to come in. Hmm. Amen. Any other thoughts? Okay. Thanks, Lexi. So as we think about how the resurrection impacted these men, here's what the resurrection means as I think about it. It means that because I'm saved, the Lord is always with me. He's always with me. He's always with us. And while he's with us, there's this unwavering, unquenchable, unrelenting hope. No matter what we're called to face, the Lord is with me. He doesn't promise me that he's going to take me out of the difficult situation. He doesn't promise me that he's going to heal me. He doesn't promise me that things are going to get better. But what he does promise me as his child and what he does tell me in the resurrection is, is that he is with me, that he loves me 
through that. And that's amazing. And that means I can trust that the Lord has my best interest at heart. Do you trust that today? Do you trust that the resurrection means that whatever the Lord has you walk through, that He has your best interest at heart? He has an eternal perspective as to why you're going through what you're going through. And here's what I love. There's no ulterior motive with Jesus. Think about that for a moment. There's no, here's the dangling carrot. Now do what I want you to do. No, it's not like that. God has no angle. He is about your joy and His glory. You know where He stands. What did Chris read in Colossians? To set our mind on things above. Jesus says, I want to be your very life. I want to be your life. There's no ulterior motive. We have ulterior motives. We sometimes see each other as a means to an end. Jesus doesn't do that. Another thing. My worth is not defined in how people respond to me. It's not. My worth is not defined by what they think about me, what they say about me, whether they reject me, whether like kids think about who's in middle school right now. Some of us are in middle school. Yeah, that's tough, right? That's a tough room sometimes, right? It is. I remember. Okay. And I remember being so caught up in what other people said, what other kids said, what they thought about me. But the Lord says, no, your identity is not in world ideas. Your identity is not in the yoke that the world is telling you to put on. Because the grave could not hold Jesus, my identity is in him. You are a son of a king. You are a daughter of a king. And the resurrection reminds us to walk in that. And my sin affects people in the same way as their sin affects me. We've got to remember that. And then here's another one. The Bible says that my feelings and my desires cannot be trusted. How many of your feelings are all over the place? Feel one thing one second, one thing the next second, right? Lord does not live by feelings. He does not live by desires of the flesh. He does not trust in what we think. He does not trust in how we feel. He operates in one lane, and that is the truth. The Lord has the truth. He lives by the truth, and everything that He says and does is based on truth. And you and I can trust, because the grave could not hold Jesus, that He has the eternal in mind when it comes to us. He does. We can trust that. Our identity is in Him. So think about this week. What does the resurrection mean to you practically? How does that change your thinking? How does that change the way that you live? Because it should. It should change who we are as we walk with the Lord 
one step at a time. It's amazing to see how the Lord took a bunch of misfits. He took a bunch of people that the rabbis would have said, no thanks. And what did he do? He trusted in what he would do in them. He trusted in the fact that he would finish what he started in them. That's the same thing that he's doing in us. The resurrection makes all the difference. Let me pray for us. Father, in a broken world, in a difficult world, in hard circumstances, in a world inundated with lies, Lord. And I know we can say that because we know ourselves, God. There are angles, there are motives, there are carrots, Lord. But that's not you. God, help us not to put on the yokes of the world, the lies of the world, the lies of our feelings, the lies of our natural minds, the world's system, God, but to put on you, to put on truth, to think on your words, God. Thank you, Jesus, that because you died for us, and because the grave could not hold you, that we have that opportunity. The opportunity is to trust you. The opportunity is to invite you. The opportunity is to walk with you. The opportunity is to be in relationship with you. Thank you for that. Remind us of our identity. Remind us that we are children of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, heirs of Christ Jesus. Thank you for that. What I pray is today we get together with our families, that we walk in that. That God, when we have the opportunity, that we would speak about who you are in our lives and leave the results to you. That God, we would be in your spirit today as we enjoy meals, God. Whatever we find ourselves doing today, that our hearts would be set on you, that our minds would be set on you. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being part of this church and being able to grow as brothers and sisters in you. We love you. We thank you. God, will you help us run in what you've provided? In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week in the Lord. Thank you for listening to audio from Foundation Life Bible Church, located in Greenwood, Indiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Foundation Life Bible Church, please visit us online at www.foundationlbc.com.